right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you all. Yes, as uh, Stephanie was saying, two services next week. That's our Christmas service. And so bring your family, bring your friends, bring everybody. The following week, Saturday, we will be here. Sunday, we will not. Christmas Day, I know. Please don't think we're sacrilegious because we're not going to be here on Jesus' birthday. And it's a Sunday. We're going to be here the night before. We want to usher him in instead. Is that okay? You need to be with your family and friends on Christmas Day. I'm going to reserve that for you. And so we're going to be here that Christmas Eve, and we're going to give you an opportunity. Here's, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be fun, very family-driven. Those people that are coming in from out of town that you don't know what to do with, and you, can't really, you don't really like that much, but you have to spend time with them around Christmas, bring them here. Come celebrate. You can, we, can, we can distract them for you for about an hour, an hour and a half or so, and then you'll be tired, and they'll go to bed, and you'll be like, oh, thank God. And so you can thank us. Your church is here to serve you. That's what we, that's what we do. But we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, Santa, Santa might be showing up. That's all I've heard. Santa was showing up. He's going to stop by here before he delivers all the presents all around the globe. Isn't that nice of him? We have a lot of influence in Santa's life. And, so, and, and then, lastly, uh, our Thrive Leadership school. We are one semester in. However, if you are like, man, I wish I could have been a part of that, you still can. You can jump in at any point. So January 17th, we kick off again, and we'll rotate back around. And over the two-year process, you'll have an opportunity to come back do what we did in, sept- in a sem- semester one in a semester, so you would, will not have missed anything over the two-year period. And Or, hey, you're like, hey, man, I I've been wondering what I could ask or tell so-and-so. They've been asking me what they can get me for Christmas. $450 is how much the 16-week course costs, and boom, there you go. They can help you with that and help you become a leader. Isn't that good? Or at least a better disciple. How about that? Well, we are moving in. We are moving through, and we're about two weeks left of our message series on the spirit, the seven spirits of God. We have just unearthed so many great, so much great content about the seven spirits of God. Uh, we didn't know really where this was going to go when we got started. God just kind of put this thing on our on my heart, and then we started down this journey, and we just unfolded so many, so many beautiful things, so much beautiful content. And the seven spirits of God are the attributes of the Holy Spirit that have, that have been uh, portrayed in the tabernacle and in the temple for dec- centuries, actually, beyond decades, centuries and centuries, leading people to understand God's people to know these attributes, training them in, so that one day, after meeting Jesus, we would get to know how to live out this life like Jesus, being empowered with these attributes who's encompassed by the Holy Spirit. So that's a lot, but if you go back and listen to the series, we dissect it down and it will start to make sense. And yet there's still so much to unfold. But today I want to tell you about, I think is one of the most valued and undervalued, but valued for the sake of being able to experience the Holy Spirit, but these seven attributes of God, the seven spirits of God. And if you were to chase Jesus's life, you would see these seven attributes attributes being functioned, lived out of in Jesus's walk, all the, 30, the, the, the 33 days that he was, I mean, 33 years that he was on, on earth, especially the three and a half years that he ministered. But it's this one right here that is the gateway. And we're talking about the spirit of reverence of the Lord. Other versions say the spirit of, the, spirit of the fear of the Lord. 
And I'm interchangeably using those, and I'll use those interchangeably because towards the middle end, I'm going to explain to you the difference between fear and reverence so that you'll understand what it means, what Scripture means when, he's talk, when we're talking about the spirit of fear, the spirit of reverence. And here, let me give a little bit uh, disclosure here. There's three people groups that are already in this room. One, of you, it, one group of you is going to revive you. Like, if you take this message and you just, you dissect it and you really own it and take it to heart like a word from the Lord, that it is, it will revive you, it will set you on a trajectory, a course, spiritual journey that can never be, never, never be negatively affected because you'll understand how to get through even the deepest valleys of, of life. Then there's a second group that's going to be offended. You're going to be offended today. And then there's a third group that's going to have a very, uh, I'd like to call, um, rectal tension. (laughs) There's going to be a little puckering. And that rectal puckering is going to point to a hard heart. And you're going to want to, you're going to want to argue with me. And you're going to be, and one guy told me he couldn't get up out of the chair after service because he was stuck to the seat so much. (laughs) I'm just warning you. And I promise you, I'm going, to be, I'm going to come true on this. I'm going to come through with my promise. I'm a promise keeper. But I guarantee you, for all three of you, this message will save your lives. And it will break down the very things, the mysteries and the confusions and the anxieties and the worries and some of the hatred or, or angst that you've had towards God and the wonders why and how comes, why them and not me. And it will begin to set a platform for you to build off of so that you can actually become who you are created to be in Christ. Good? Fair? All right, I'm going to preach today. So we're talking about in the, in the passage of Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, and we're talking about Jesus, Isaiah's prophesying. It's a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, who was King David's father, lineage of Jesus, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might is what we're going to talk about next week during the Christmas celebration, and then the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Verse 3 says this, his delight, Jesus' delight, speaking to Jesus, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. He was like, oh, got warm and warm fuzzies about having reverence towards God the Father, Jesus did. This is a proclamation of what Jesus would be, and in fact, we already see out of evidence because of what Scripture followed what he was. He was very reverent towards God the Father. He only did what he saw him do and heard what did, said what he heard him say. Now, to delight in something, to delight in something, is to literally have all your senses moved and overwhelmed by this thing. It's, it's to be completely surrendered and yielded to falling into, falling in uh, over yourself into. Let me give you an example. Christmas is coming. Holidays, Thanksgiving was here. Uh, that, that delicious piece of pie and ice cream that you love so much. You're like, man, you get that. It's at the end of the day, and you're tearing it up, and you're like, oh, gosh, this is so good. And it's like you've been looking forward to this, and it's your favorite person makes this, and it's like, geez, this is the only reason I like for them to show up to my house because they bring this. 
and you're just almost, you're delighting. All your senses are just in overload because of the joy and the magnificence of this pie and, and, and ice cream or whatever that dessert is. And you are, nothing matters. Your boundary, like your walls are shut down, or they're falling down. You have no resistance. You become just this mush in the hands of this ice cream and pie. Do you know what I'm saying? That's delight. And this is what Jesus was in the fear of the Lord. This is his delight. He was yielded completely to the reverence of God the Father. Am I painting a good enough picture of where we're going and the expectations that God has for us? All right. So it's very similar to intimacy with your spouse. Uh, you, You delight yourself in one another. Yes, in a healthy marriage, in a healthy marriage, there's vulnerability, Like, I don't hide anything from you. There's transparency. You can see through me, and it's okay. There's back-and-forth trust, and we can have really open conversation about anything because we delight in one another. We love to be with one another. This is marriage. James 4 and 5 says this, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? God the Father has placed a spirit inside of you that comes from him, and he jealously longs to be in intimate relationship with you. Like daily longing to just wait that you wake up, and he looks over you and is like, man, I just want to do life with you. I just want to be in relationship with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be a part of your every day. I want to be, I wish you would just be more vulnerable and transparent with me so that we can have open and honest back and forth conversation. This is what God the Father jealously yearns for you. That's real. Has your spouse ever woke you up in the middle of the night saying like, hey, baby? And you're like, no, go to bed. I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. Well, have you ever had God wake you up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., and he's just knocking at your little heart window, and he keeps talking, bringing up pictures, bringing up images, bringing up thoughts, and he's wanting to talk with you. He's wanting to communicate with you, and he's trying to get into your, into, into your presence. He's trying to get, in, get your attention, and finally, because you've been so busy and restless throughout your day and your week and your month and your year, finally, there's been space made, and there's, there's a place of, of, of margin because you're sleeping, and finally, he can get through to you to say, hey, can we talk? My spirit jealously yearns to be with that spirit that's trying to rest right now. Can we talk? Psalms 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O Lord. This is King David, the lineage of Jesus. How you're precious, your thoughts are so precious to me. O God, how great is the sum of them. Verse 18, if I should count them, they would be more, more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And yet, God, do you know science tells us that every cubic foot of sand, a cubic foot of sand has 1.8 billion grains of sand, and yet God's thoughts for you exceed that. And how many know that nobody thinks about somebody that much that they don't want to have intimate relationship with? Your spouse doesn't think about you that much, but your Father in heaven does. 
And his spirit is constantly trying to get through the hard shell and the denial and the rejection and the issues and the stubbornness and the issue and the rectal pucker to be able to get to the place of communicating with you so he can do some rewriting. I'm told you I'm going to preach today. So how many of you understand that, that nobody thinks about you that much but God the Father? Here's the interesting thing. Why is it, though, these things are true, so many Christians are not experiencing intimacy with God? Oh, you know, I've read this book. That writer's just special. Or, you know, that person on that show, you know, God does that for them, but he would never do that for me. How, how, how's that true? That, that's good for them, but you know what? I just, God's just different in my life. No, he's not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what's the key? What's the issue? What's the circumstance? What is God trying to move us towards for that intimacy to be with him? There's a common reason, because there's a foundation that must be in place in order for us to have intimacy with God. He sets the table for every one of us, and no one is different. God has no favorites but because of our response towards him, he favors some more than others. Psalms 89.7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. This is why whenever you're entering into worship, you start to feel the warm fuzzies. You start to, you're singing out, you're worthy of it all. There's something that's starting to happen. There's an opening. There's a wall that's being laid down. There's a trust and a vulnerability and transparency that you are having in private time right there in the midst of public in the assembly with the Lord. There's a reverence that now has taken place, and now you possess your soul to be able to receive, and now your spirit can commune with his spirit, which he's jealously been longing for for however long it's been since the last time you communed. And this is where heart transformation takes place. It's only in those moments, in those gaps, in those margin moments that God, the, God the, the inner working power of the Holy Spirit can connect with you, do a work, change, transform your mind, and then project you into the very things that you've been struggling to get into on your own with your own hands. And how many know that nothing changes on the outside, no matter how long you complain, no matter how much strategic process you get, no matter how many planning plans you put into action until it happens right here. And that's only because of reverence with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy God, because he, tra he transforms and he changes and then he confuses the old knowledge, the old man right here, and he brings out the new man that sees life in a different place. And all of a sudden, people that know you say, wow, you're weird. Yes. You will never, let me say this, you will never experience the power and the presence of God where there is no reverence for God. And in the same way, there will be very little inner working transformation of the Holy Spirit if you do not have reverence for God's presence. And I'm, let me just make a note of something. Last service, we didn't have a bunch of people up and walking around. Reverence was in the house. This service, there's been nobody up and walking around like chaos. Reverence. I'm telling you. You know why people get up and walk around, go to the bathroom, go get something, coffee, go get something? No reverence. Let me tell you the, how the reverence of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is in this house today. And you can feel it. I used to struggle with entering in the presence of God as well, though. 
Let me give you some, some prescription for this. There are a few things that I learned to do. One, I learned to get in his word. I begin to pray and meditate on his word. I begin to think it through. Let me think about what that's saying. Let me think about how it applies to me. And then I begin to imagine his testimonies. Man, he spoke to, he got at Moses' attention with a burning bush. Man, he split two rivers. Man, he threw one of his sons who spoke, shut up rain for three and a half years, and then spoke again, and boom, it rained. Wow. Through his son and the disciples that followed his son, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he healed the lame and the lepers and the blind from, to see. He, he changed the world. He moved mountains. And then I take that in my little situation, and if God can do that, and he did that then, then how come he can't? Because he can't. And then it begins to take my little peon understanding and blows it out of the water into a magnified God understanding of, God, I don't fully get it, but I have a reverence towards what your testimonies say. And in my situation, I can't do this anymore and it be effective for my life. So what do you say? Reverence meets you in that place, and now you're willing to be humble and yield to anything that he has to say. And you, are, you realize, I'm at the end of myself, and I'm not good enough. But you are. That is when the spirit of reverence comes in and boom, the presence of God just begin to meet me where I'm at. And then begin to take my faith, my, my faith life into, this, into my life situations. And let me tell you what he was doing. He was revealing his covenant through Jesus with me. It's one thing to know his covenant, but it's a whole other thing to experience his covenant. Oh, I'm going to show you that in a minute. How did Jesus say to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, holy, set apart, revered shall be your name. Jesus was telling us, teaching us to revere the Father. As we come to him, we pray to him, have a reverence towards the Father. We're positioning our heart in reverence to receive from him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm laying down my agenda. It's no longer about my kingdom. It's about your kingdom, and it's all about you. It's about your agenda and what you want. Now let's talk. We got number, question number one we're going to answer today. What is the spirit of reverence of the Lord? It's not to be scared of him. It's to be terrified to be away from him. You see the difference? The difference from two believers. There's a third believer that's utterly religious. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about the two who love the Lord. It's all about relationship, brother. Yeah, it is. But there's one who loves him, has no reverence for him, and stays in cycles and brokenness and bondage and in and out of situations, struggles, continuals. But then there's this one, this other group that loves him and has a reverence for his word, for his presence, for his guidance, his intimate guidance, completely different groups. I think, oh, okay, that's why so-and-so, that's why this, that's why, oh, it's going to start making even more sense. Think about Moses, Exodus 8, 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Another version says, so that they may worship me. Serving, by the way, when you serve the Lord, that's an act of worship. That's one of the many acts of worship. 
So when you go through next steps today and you start to serve, that you're worshiping. This is the, this is the, why? Because God says this is the most deep, intimate act of, of, of in, in, uh, initiating intimacy with God. We initiate it, I'm willing to lay everything down. How many people can say, you know what, I've served God long enough, I've done my part, I'm good. But we act like that, don't we? I told you there's going to be three groups today. One's going to be revived, one's going to be offended, and one's going to have a rectal pucker all throughout the service. But I'm telling you, all three of you can get, can get super saved, saved beyond your own condition right now, and you can be set free into becoming all God created you to be. Are we good with that? I'm coming through with my promise. I made you a promise. I want you to know I'm a promise keeper. And I'm not mad at you. I'm trying to break an old mold that you've been set in for probably 20 years. All right, I will. So why did God want Moses to bring the people to him before they went into the promised land? Exodus 20, 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. How many of them, man, I just love when God tests me. I can't wait till the next test. I love being tested. I love, I'm so good, and I'm just doing my devotions and journaling, and I'm just praying, and I'm just, and then a test comes. And they were, why, God? Why me? I've been doing all the right things. Because you started leaning into works, and you quit listening to my voice. And the test comes to whether you're not or you're going to listen to his voice in the next season, the next phase, the next thing you discover in his word, the next thing you hear from his voice because you've been in his word. And all of a sudden, there's a challenge. What's your heart going to do in response to the very things that you know that he's saying? Test. Now I'm starting to identify tests that you guys have been going through. Like, dang it, I've been doing that for 10 years. <laughs> Test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. He brought him out into the wilderness. God said, bring him to me before we go into the promised land. Moses is like, no, I got to get some stuff out of you before we can go into that thing. There's some things that God's had for you for a long time, but he's still in the process of working some things out of you because there's not a reverence yet. There hasn't been a reverence established, which brings about the awareness and the knowledge and the understanding that God has a will that's more specific for your life than what you've decided for your life. And yet he said, we got to get some sin out. I need some reverence for my voice so that when I speak and I say move, you're going to move and you're not going to do what you want to do and you're not going to depend on your ways, your comforts, and you're going to go into the promised land. You're going to go into the place that I've called you to. Abraham, whenever God called Abraham, he says in two, verses, two different versions, it says, one, God called him out of his country. The other says, God called him into a far off place. Do you know what the actual Hebrew translation is? God called him to go find himself. Abraham, you got to get away from everything that you've known to be comfortable and true about life. You got to un un unlearn that stuff and you got to go get my stuff. And it requires a reverence of the Lord. When, when you have reverence, God can speak to your sin and work it out of you. And when God shows up and He's speaking, He. 
He doesn't do it like Satan has convinced you to so that you're actually scared of him. Oh gosh, he's going to bring so much shame and condemnation and guilt into your life. Oh no, no, no. When God shows up, it's with love and he's reminding you of who you really are. You're not a jerk. You're not a drunk. You're not a pornography addict. You're not a bad father. You're not a terrible husband. You're not a dishonoring wife. But you know what sin does and guilt and shame does? It causes us to go deeper into the very things that God's trying to call us out of. Because in our mind of bondage, we can't see the faith and the freedom on the other side. We can't see what it looks like when we let go of these vices that we've become so identified with. And it sounds like a contradiction, but he's saying, don't be scared. Don't be scared to come into my presence. We just got to get some reverence because we have a mission to complete together, me and you. And this is the same platform for all of his brothers, all of his sons, rather, all of his daughters. It's not about the one guy, the 10 guys that wrote a book, or the ladies that wrote a book, or one that's on the show, the TV show. It's not about that. It's about relationship through reverence. The person who is scared before God has something to hide. That's the difference. But the person, when we come to him reverent and vulnerable, we have everything to gain. Lord, you know what? I I think you're talking to me about this stuff. Let me just lay it out on the table. You decide what I'm going to need for the next season. It's not that important to me. Reverence. And until we're willing to let go of the other lies and sins, we can't understand that God could ever have better for us in these areas. And so we settle for a lesser adventure in life. Number two, what does it mean to have reverence, Pastor? To have reverence from the Lord means to venerate Him, to hold Him in high esteem, to honor Him to revere him greatly. It means to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And the only way to do that is not through religiosity, it's through relationship and just walking in sensitivity and spirit because he longs jealously to be with our spirit so he can commune with our spirit. So as we're walking through our daily day, daily life, he can talk with us and he can guide us and he can help us to have, 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 have wisdom and knowledge about what to do and what not to do and why. Isaiah Five says this, he's rebuking sin of the people of Israel, you know, the prophet of God, he's just walking around, woe are you sinners, woe is this, woe means like, like you're on the path of death, bro, that's what woe means, not like woe, woe, no, no, it's not woe, American English woe, it's like woe to you, you're you're on the path of death and this destruction is, is right now in your hands, it's in your life. It's your destination. Woe to the wicked. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity, he says. He says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Sound like the world we're living in? Woe to you. And then in Isaiah 5, 13, it says, therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. You know what captivity is? It's bondage. Do you know what captivity is? It's deception. Do you know when you no longer know that you're deceived? when you're no longer deceived. And do you know in the adverse is you don't know you're deceived when you're deceived? (laughs) 
I'm telling you today we're breaking some old molds and we're starting to get some revelation. If you grab a hold of this thing, you're going to realize, you're going to walk out of here, dang, I walked in this place deceived. And I thank God that I'm not anymore. He said, they're deceived, they're in captivity, they're in bondage, they're slaves. Because they have no knowledge. You know what? Brings knowledge. Everybody hear this last weekend? I'll, I'll give the answer. Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. They're going into bondage and captivity. They're enslaved. They're deceived because they have no reverence for the Lord. They have no fear of the Lord. When he speaks, they don't move. They just argue. They're obstinate. When his word is, it says clearly against their situation and their, their stance and their attitudes and their, what they think, they argue with it anyway. Zero fear of the Lord. Therefore, fools despise wisdom. You're not even ready for God's instruction. I'm a believer. I love Jesus. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But there's another step. Here's this Isaiah sitting there, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then Isaiah 6, and this is where, this is where, then we just sang this song, and the train, Isaiah is sitting there, and God shows himself, he's, the train of the robe of the Lord fills the temple, enters into the temple, so much so, he's in awe and wonder, and he's sitting there, and Isaiah 6, 5, we see, and this is the calling, now, now, now you need to know, I didn't say this last Thursday, this is the calling, in Isaiah 6, just down, just past this, this is when God calls Isaiah out into his specific ministry, but right before this, he's woeing everybody as a prophet of God. The train of the robe of the Lord enters into the temple. And then Isaiah realizes this. He says this, woe is me in the presence of the Lord. Woe is me, for I am undone, meaning I'm destroyed. Undone means I, I just cease to exist. Because I am a man of unclean lips. He's a holy prophet of God who loved God, but he realized in the presence of God, oh, he's still. And only reverence will help you to see that. You stand in the, prophet, the presence of God and you think, oh, I'm good. I just love him so much and I'm a good dude. I'm, everything's good for me. I don't have anything to change. Obstinate, offended probably right now, and lacking the fear of the Lord. And I would dare to say, because of these rhythms stuck in a certain cycle, even though it's hidden by certain things and elements, whatever America comes with, still struggling in cycles that maybe nobody else knows. But yet the same, God knows. And he's trying to set you free from it. He's trying to deliver you from that. He has so much more than that right there. That is not your identity. That's not your path. That's not, this is just my hand that I have to, I've been dealt. No, it's not. It's the hand that you picked up. Man, I'm preaching. I'm just, I love you so much. To be undone, to be undone literally means to be, to be destroyed before the land, to cease from everything you yourself have built to be true that is not from God. Have you ever been in a situation where you're confronted by God in an area of your life and you found yourself defending your sin and perspective against the Lord? Show of hands? Yeah. Honesty, reverence. Do you know what that is? That's reverence. That's reverence. Who cares what other people think? The Lord. The Lord. 
When you finally yield, this is called the spirit of reverence of the Lord. You've just prepared yourself to gain knowledge from the King of kings and the Lord of lords about the king's kingdom. And it's only until that place we're willing to come to him and say, you know what? You're right, Lord. You're right what you're saying. I've had a false interpretation of it. I've defended a lie, and I repent. I apologize. I, I recount that, and I ask that you forgive me and heal me and set me free and give me what your truth is. Whew. You want to see some believers on fire. You want to see some sons and daughters come alive. You want to see some families change. You want to see God do a work that you've been praying over for decades that wish I would just help my grandkids or my kids. Well, it starts with you, friend. It's no wonder Paul wrote this to the Philippians 2, 12, 13. He says, therefore, my, my beloved, as you beloved, so endear, term of endearment, I love you so much. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence. You know what? It's not placating. Oh, you know what? Show up. Let's do everything that you say, and yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to act like we get it all done. But no, even more so in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. With fear and trembling, with reverence of the Lord, God is working his will inside of you, his general will that you, you find all throughout his word, which becomes even more specific because you're reverent and you're willing to hear him, and he knows you're willing to hear him, and he can speak to you because he, he's tested you, test, he's tested you, and you've done the very things that he's asked you to do, or you've stopped doing the very things that he's asked you to stop doing. So now a reverence and a trust, a relationship, a vulnerability, transparency, back and forth is now now established, and now he can work his will inside of you, and now we can do some change and see some change in your family, in your finances, in your marriage, because he's doing the work anyway. Whew. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul's still writing to the next church, therefore having his, these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, not in the love of God. In reverence. Because it's the sensitivity with his voice that leads you and guides you into those very specific things that are very specific for your life that God has intimately designed for you to walk out the very specific journey that he's prepared for you beforehand. Ephesians 2.10, for God, you are his masterpiece created in God for the good works which God created beforehand. Oh, now I can reveal these good works which I even created you for. Now that you're reverent, <laughs> notice Isaiah eleven three. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Notice he doesn't say any of these other spirits are his delight. Man, and he just loved might, and he just loved counsel, and he just loved it. No, he delighted in the fear of the Lord. Then. God will be able to show you, too, the things the human eye can't see and the human ears can't hear, because the next piece of this same verse is, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. Man, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you going that direction? I just don't understand it logically. I just don't know what you're thinking. 
Because I'm doing things that I can't see beyond what I can see. I'm doing things that are beyond what I can, I can hear with my human ears. There's just an inner knowing that God has gifted me with because of this reverence. There's an inner knowing that's just guiding me to do this, make these decisions, and go this route, and stand firm on this for my family. There's just an inner knowing that's been established because of the reverence of the Lord. It doesn't make logical sense until it does make logical sense because it starts right here. Hebrews 5, 7, this is Jesus, by the way, how, who in those days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, God the Father, you could have saved him from death. And was heard, Jesus was heard because of, Jesus' prayers were only heard because of his godly fear. And you're thinking, yeah, but scripture says in Revelations that the prayers of the saints are in the golden bowl of incense before the Lord. The saints. And remember who scripture says, that God shall be revered in the assembly of the saints. You need to know the word. And how many know it's one thing to pray, but it's another thing to be heard? Well, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. Well, what's your heart? How's the reverence in your life? How are you responding to the things over here that he's asking you to do? Because Jesus was only heard because of his godly fear of the Lord. Psalms 19, 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. You ever been just feeling clean? Like you had an interaction, an encounter with the Lord, and you just, man, I just feel so clean. When you go to Freedom Conference, you know, for me and my, my guys and men's, we, we just pour out our hearts in our little men's group we do on Thursdays. Or I just went to this thing called Quest, thequestlife.com. You need to go check it out. Not far from here. I felt like God just reached down into my soul, and I thought I was good, reached down in my soul and pulled a layer of sludge out of me from my toes to my fingers to my head, and it just felt clean. It's like his hand just went through me and just took out a bunch of junk that I didn't even know I was there. Do you know why? Because I'd been walking around deceived. Let me take it further, as he said, in bondage to my freedom. And you just don't know until you know. Verse 10, verse, sorry, Psalms 198, go, uh, 19, go back. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments, the things that come from the mouth of God, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More does, to be desired are they than gold. Yeah, much more fine than gold. Then other than, much more than, than, than honey and the honeycomb, the thing, the sweet things of life. To hear the voice of the Lord is much more desirable than the money that you're searching after and the sweet things of life that you're trying to wrestle about and struggle through life with just so you can get a little bit of it to look like so and so and such and such. Because when you get the voice of God moving in your life and he can direct your decisions, then he can bless you with the things that you've been seeking after, Matthew 6.33, and not only will it benefit you, but your heart will be so positioned and conditioned that it will be a benefit for the others around you and it will bring glory back to the Father. 
Lucifer was in the presence of God and had not the fear of the Lord, and they did not endure. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, had not the fear of the Lord, and they did not endure. Everything that sits around the throne of God will be tested by the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Vert number three, what's, this, what's the evidence of reverence? They'll obey God instantly. They'll obey God even when it doesn't make any sense. They'll obey God even when it hurts. Oh, man, you, don't, you know what, Lord, do you know what that's going to do if I have to do that? I mean, we're going to really have to rebudget. Bless your heart. If I make that kind of commitment, Lord, do you know the time that I'm going to have to put toward? <laughs> what? To even have that thought identifies where the reverence is in your heart. They'll obey even when you don't see a benefit. Well, I just don't know how that's going to benefit me. That may be good for you, but what about numero uno? Really? I'm setting you up for success in this spiritual journey so we can break the cycles of the church, of the individuals in the church, of your lives, of your families, of your you fill in the blank. Number five, they'll obey God all the way to completion. Saul, Saul did 99% of what God asked for him to, and yet still God said he did not obey me. And you got to get this one because some of you are like, man, I served and I did that for three months. Or I did this thing for three months and I'm done. I did my part. I'm good. Really? You, you, you've done enough. You served God with your life enough. And you, he, you've paid him back. The debt's been paid. Where are we? Believers? Christ followers, where are we in our faith? Where are we in our understanding of who he is? Let me give you this one. Oh, offense. The tithe, 10, it's a test. It's a test. It's a test to test your heart. Will they obey me instantly? Will they obey me, even when it doesn't make any sense. How's he, how's he, can you tell me how he's going to repay me that 10%? Repay you? It's his. You struggle with the tithe, but offering, you ain't even moved into offerings. It's a test of your heart to see if you're reverent towards him. And we're wrestling over these old things that are keeping you from the fullness of everything that God has for you. And you're in a cycle. When he asks us to go above and beyond, will we obey? Will we, will we obey even if we don't see the benefit? Well, I don't know under how, understand how to tie that. The church just wants my money. Really? So God wrote in the scriptures, church is gonna need your money, so I need you to tithe to me 10% of what I've given you. Do you know that Hebrews says, whenever you give, whenever you give the tithe, this is, this is New Testament, when you give the tithe, Men receive, but God, men, men, you give it to men, but God, Jesus, is in heaven receiving. Do you know that you're wrestling with the fact that Jesus is asking you to return into his hand the tithe? Take it up with him, not the church. He just says, bring it to the church. You offended? You got rectal pucker or are you getting set free? Which one is it today? 
real talk. I mean, hey, you ever meet me in close, we're going to have this kind of personal open conversation. How about the, forget the time, how about the Sabbath, Americans? Oh, you want me to now take a day off and rest and not do my lawn work? No, I want you to trust God that he can do more in the six days than you can do in the seventh. That's what I'm asking. How about loving the hurting? How about creating enough margin so that you can give back to those who are hurting because one day somebody helped you in your time of hurting, but now you've become so blessed you're too busy to help others. Oh, I'm tired. I get out of school and I go to school and I'm busy and I got just too much. My brain, I just can't. Well, I'm so glad that Jesus said that you were worth it to go to the cross for you. Psalms 25, 14, the secrets of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. Show them his covenant in an experientially way. He will show you his covenant. He will live out covenant with you. The secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. Another version says this, that the Lord is friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. So many believers are not living with an understanding of his covenant. They just know you understand, well, because of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, I'm in covenant. I don't know what that means because I haven't quite experienced it, but I just, I just receive it by grace. And that's great for the start. You have now crossed the starting line. Now let's get to work. And God doesn't share his intimate truths with just anyone. He wants to share them with people who are going to listen and do something about it. He shares them with his friends. And you're like, well, I remember the song back in the 90s. I am a friend of God. How many know that song? Don't make me embarrass myself up here. See? And now you've been convinced, well, I'm a friend of God. I don't have to do anything because I love him. And he loves me. Well, let me tell you what the word says. How about that? Because it's one thing to know about the covenant, but it's another thing when God begins to live out experientially this covenant with you. When God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, which he had been waiting 24 years for, he, my Bible says that Abraham got up early the next morning and went to that mountain to, to sacrifice that son. He didn't say, you know what, God? Since you're going to take me through so much emotional trauma can I just have some physical rest and sleep in till about 10 or 11? And then maybe if we can make it to the mountain that day, tomorrow, we'll go do that. And we'll just kind of work out how this is going to be. No, because he was reverent. He had reverence of the Lord. So immediately he gets up the next day and he goes. And here's what God does. He says, because of the reverence that you have for me, I will provide the sacrifice. And in that moment, Abraham experienced the covenant that God has with him because God then became, that place became Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Abraham experientially began to know through experience, through understanding, through knowledge now, supernatural kingdom knowledge, that my God is a God who provides. Some of you are still providing for yourselves because you haven't experienced the covenant with God that he is your provider. And if he's your provider, the tithe doesn't matter. The Sabbath doesn't matter. Loving my neighbor who I don't know doesn't matter because he is my provider. He is my Rafa. He is my Nisi. Oh, 
You got to experience the covenant that God has with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it just doesn't happen without reverence of the Lord. And we're wondering why the church is in the state that it's in. John 15, 14 and 15, because some of you have a defense right now in your offense. You're thinking, oh, I know a verse that he says he's my friend. Okay, you are my friends with stipulation. I hope that doesn't offend you. If you do whatever I command you, if you have reverence for me, you're my friend. But some of you, no longer do I call you servants. Why? Because some of you are still servants. Still servants. And a servant, you know what a servant does? Nothing until they're told to and they don't understand what they're being told to do and asked to do because they don't have reverence to hear from him. Are you offended? Are you puckered up? Are you getting set free today? For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Remember who Jesus, who remember who God tells his secrets to? His friends. Who are those who do what he commands? Man, I can't break down scripture any clearer for you. Do you know when you're no longer deceived? When you're no longer deceived. I love you. A willingness to do whatever Jesus says, this is the spirit of reverence of the Lord. Can I pray for you? Said this last group, no, you can't pray for me. You just slap me in the face. How are you going to pray for me? <laughs> I am just trying to break an old mold, and that's it. This is a word from the Lord. This is a word. This is not a word from me. This is a word from the Lord. You can take this. You can break it down. You can dissect it, but you're going to come back to the same truth. Because I love you, I'm delivering it to you. Am I asking right now, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? It's the most important thing you'll hear all day today. So Father, we just thank you so much that you sent your spirit in promise through your son. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you just forgive us for not receiving this attribute of you that actually draws us into more intimacy of life with life, the living word. Jesus, forgive us for resisting the very purpose that you went to the cross, for us to live out as your body, empowered, strengthened, knowing things that the lost world doesn't know, seeing things that the lost world can't see, to do things that the lost world so desperately needs for us to do. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling this on earth when you walked. Thank you for giving us an example. Thank you for your forgiveness in advance. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to just speak to hearts and souls. And, and, and as your spirit longs to be with our spirit, I pray that you speak to your sons and daughters this holiday season and that you break an old mold that we settled for as the church. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.